Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we talk to Mata Haggis Burridge about the representation of the LGBTQ community in video games as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. Listen up, all you gamers out there. Miracle Fruit Oil is ramping up the deals on its awesome Vitabrace Gaming Wristband. Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve your gaming performance. Vitabrace will help you achieve your gaming goals, whether it's that single-player campaign, retro classic, or battle royale. Head on over today to MiracleFruitOil.com, and if you use the code VITABRACE50, you'll get half off on a Vitabrace Gaming wristband, or use the code buy one get one and it's buy one get one free that's right just use the code vitabrace50 or buy and the number one get and the number one today to get some great deals on some vitabrace gaming wristbands so check it out today at miraclefruitoil.com vitabrace win with it well one of the things i wanted to talk about pride month was just wanted to get into detail about the representation of LGBTQ plus characters within the video game scene. And is there a lot more that needs to be done when it comes to the representation of LGBTQ plus community in the environment of video games? And I have a great representative today that's going to talk about what's going on and where it needs to go from here. I'm speaking right now to the Professor of Creative and Entertainment Games at the Brita University of Applied Sciences. I almost have to take a breath there when I'm saying that. <laughs> but I tell you what, he's also a former level designer at, at Electronic Arts. And boy, we're going to have a lot to talk about when it comes to Electronic Arts. <laughs> it, it is Mata haggis Burridge, And I'll tell you what, Mata, is just so great to have you part of the program. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me to be here. In the entertainment industry, I can just see it from my vantage point, and I, you know, I don't have very much of a say in the matter. And that's, and but I can clearly see that there is more representation that needs to be made with, and and there needs to be more of a positive reinforcement and a more positive community that's type um, that's brought out between the LGBTQ community and the entertainment industry as a whole. I mean, we've got some steps that have been taken from what I can see. But I think, still think a lot more that needs to be done. But before we get into that big, heavy topic conversation, you know, I want people to understand and know your background 
on some of the things that you're part of and then also some of the experiences that you have with video games and and how that came to be okay so um yeah basically i've been a games developer for around about 20 years now it's approaching 20 years i started off around 2000 uh, making flash games and animations uh online used to release them on my website and uh really felt, formed a very nice community there really it kind of took off when mtv asked if they could put some of my animations uh around europe that was mtv2 so uh, we ended up with those being broadcast i had a a focus back then kind of really of kind of uh subculture particularly kind of goth subculture very much kind of a teen audience uh and a young sort of 20s audience um and as i built up the the forums kind of that went alongside the website uh we found that there was a statistically improbable number of bisexual identifying people on the forums um without ever really meaning to form that as a deliberate part of the community it was just you know forums that go alongside animations and it wasn't it was never the biggest thing of, that we were talking about but it was always there um and dealing with sexuality even though i was making silly animations and stuff like that they're always well, there were sometimes little bits of that hidden away in there um, because it is so much part of who we are. And if you create for long enough, you always end up, you end up making a self-portrait. Every single thing you make is a self-portrait. You can't avoid doing it. Yeah, uh, It's a portrait of yourself. It's a portrait of the society you live in. So I was uh, started kind of making those animations and stuff just after finishing a bachelor's uh course in uh, Winchester in the UK. Uh, I'm English in case people hadn't already guessed by the accent. Um, and when I was doing that, I was actually really looking at uh, bisexual identity uh, and kind of bisexual approaches to literary criticism, uh, really looking at a poet called Samuel Taylor, Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Um, I'm really trying to work out kind of, there was, there was in the 1990s, there was an idea of kind of literary theory called queer theory, which was typically um, not really anything from kind of queer communities overall it was typically mostly gay men working within this field uh, and some lesbian scholars working within this field but it and there was even one very prominent scholar that uh, said that bisexuality didn't exist so you know his partner actually after many years they broke up and his partner started dating a woman uh, so he was kind of forced to accept that maybe bisexuality could be real but uh, this this was kind of the cultural background of the 1990s that sort of started me off. Um, I was doing a PhD at the same time as uh, running that business and learning how to make those games. And again, that was looking at identity and how it's represented in technology and fiction, uh, looking at William Gibson particularly, who uh, invented the term cyberspace, very influential over many things, and including things like Cyberpunk 2077, which... Uh, we uh, we might tr touch on later in this conversation. Oh, I would uh, think so because that is a, a lot of talk going around, especially after E3. I, I know you took notice that of this week. Yeah, I noticed that one happening. Um, so yeah, I, I went to work for Electronic Arts on Burnout Paradise, where I was kind of a level design side of things. Uh, I put down uh, basically if anybody's ever played that game, if you hit an object that moved, I put it there. That I say that with 100% confidence, and there's oh, around awesome. 10,000 of those in that game. So, uh, and it was it was a really interesting challenge to try and balance kind of the the storytelling of how you put down the objects to make the world feel like a place that was worth driving around in. Uh, because although it's a racing game, 
you could do exactly the same gameplay mechanics with just a box, you know, a yeah. box sliding between boxes. That would still be a racing game, but the game feels better when it's in a city and the city feels better to race through if it feels like, yeah, people just walked away, just walked out of this scene just a moment ago. It feels like there could be people around the corner. Um, obviously, a game, that game is rated kind of teenish, so they don't want you ha actually have you hitting pedestrians. It's not Grand Theft Auto, so, 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 so it's an empty city, kind of. But, but it's still a fabulous game. I have played it, and my compliments to you and the team for doing so. so. They were an amazing team to work with. I mean, full credit goes to them. They are absolutely stunning people we work with there. Uh, interestingly, uh, four of the people who I worked with there uh, spun off and started Fireproof, who are now famous for making the Room series uh, on uh, Android and iOS. Hi, ah, I'm, I'm very familiar with those. That's great. Yes, so that was started by people who worked on Burnout Paradise. Their their feeling was basically, we want to bring AAA visuals to the mobile market and make something small that we can make by ourselves. And mm. they made the room. And I think it's a fantastic series. And, you know, we see lots of people from that burnout team really have continued flourishing through the industry. It was a difficult production, that one. Lots of stress, lots of hard work, many, many, many hours in the office. Uh, and I got RSI from trying to hold the, because you know when you hold the acceleration trigger? Yes. When you're testing that game 10 hours a day, you're just holding an acceleration trigger. It's like a little hook pose Ouch. for about 10 hours. That, that was not comfortable. That still hurts today. Um, so, yeah, there are physical side effects to making games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine so. I mean, as someone who's played it and, if for, you know, you, you play the – we use a controller for an extended amount of time. I mean, even just testers, game testers, and and oh, obviously yeah. what you guys do as well. I mean, there if you're doing something repetitive or something in the uh, along the lines for for an extended amount of time, that those things are bound to happen. Yeah, it's 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 um it's quite a tough business actually. Um, you know, we we do we do work ourselves very hard to try and create the best things for people. Uh, and, and I know, and I know you get a lot of criticism as well. People coming up to, well, you just make games. Uh, you just yeah. make games. And it's, uh, you, you know, you, you just have to, I, I would ask people if they go experience an E3, because I've been to a few E3s. I wasn't there this time around, but uh, I sent a crew there but mm -hmm. this for this time. But, I you know, the, the E3s I've been to, and you talk to the developers firsthand, and you talk to people that have worked in the industry, such as yourself, and you can see, in some cases, the long hours that are done, the crunch mm -hmm. times that are, that, are, that have taken place, and you see the fact that, it is not so easy just going ahead and being in front of that computer for, and doing the things that you need to do, mocap the whole nine yards for yeah. so long, for such a period of time. And then as it gets close to the end, you have crunch time where you work an unbelievable amount of hours in order to get the product out the door. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, though, I mean, it's, yes, we're not like, breaking rocks with with sledgehammers but it True. is it is it is definitely a type of hard it's yeah. very definitely a type of hard. and especially when you're dealing with um different topics i mean there, we, we look at um like there are stories about artists who have been working on zombie games and they've spent three months six months 18 months staring at reference images of decaying bodies and horrible wounds and every night they go to sleep and those images are still in front of their head and they have to go home and have a relationship and have a life or raise a family. And they've, their workplace is just blood, gore and disease. And it's like, this is, 
this is hard stuff we're asking people to do for the sake of entertainment. It's um, it is a tough business that we're working yes. in. I can imagine so. I can imagine yeah. so indeed. Let me ask you this. When it comes to the representation of the video game industry with the LGBTQ plus community, when was the first time that you saw in your life as far as a video game that actually had a character or characters within that community that you could relate to more on that level? Oh, now you've got two questions there. One of them is when the first time I saw it and when was the first time I saw one I could relate to? I mean, those, those, are, those are good questions. Yeah, so I, I think the first time I remember noticing a gay character in a game or an LGBTQ character in a game um, was a light gun game. I can't even remember the name of it right now. Um, but there was a, it, was, it was a light gun game and um, it was a tiny little moment that you uh, had shot one of the one of the, the, the sort of primary women enemies. Uh, there was lots of enemies of multiple genders um, but uh, yeah there was one of them was a woman and there was another enemy who was also a woman around who was kind of one of the, the, the prime baddies in this as well. And when you killed one of them, the it was very clear that this was not just a comrade you had shot. Mm -hmm. This this was her partner. And it was only a few lines. It was probably 20 seconds or something of it. But I was so surprised to see that in a game. I pleasantly surprised, of course. Uh, and it was still basically the non-straight characters were baddies and stuff like that so you can kind of you know, <laughs> you know there's maybe progress to be made there but it was really nice to see just somebody who wasn't heterosexual or asexual should i say because i mean a lot, yeah. a lot of a lot of video game characters don't really express any particular sexuality at all um I right. know, like like you said when you're when you're creating games you have npcs and they're not usually designed with any type of sexual preference and they're just there to communicate and then you move on once you're once you're once you're done with them. Yeah, when your average NPC is go find me three magic stones. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I think that one's really into boys. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't really work like that. I'm gonna anyway. send you on another fetch quest. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> but the question of like what was the first time I found a character I could relate to was actually uh, one of the reasons I ended up making the game that I'm probably best known for these days, which is a game called Fragments of Him. So Fragments of Him uh, started off as a bit of a, an experiment with myself and a couple of other guys who are now graduates and have their own company, Sassybot. Uh, Sassybot are based in Breda, my local town where the university is. And they asked me to join them on a games jam. And I'd been wanting to make a game about the end of a relationship. And uh, I said to them on the first day, it's like, it's a three-day game jam, so we have to make a whole game in three days, or at least a whole short game in three days is the plan. And I said to them on the first day, is it okay if I make the, the two main characters in this men? And they were like, yeah, of course. Being Dutch, uh, you know, <laughs> they're generally quite open-minded about stuff. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, of course, there's no problem. Yeah, fine. And so I set to work really creating what became the first story of Fragments of Him. So Fragments of Him is a drama, basically. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a semi-interactive drama where you walk around scenes, you click on objects. But as you click on objects, you follow the story of four people. Um, one of them is a man who dies in a car crash. And the other three are his friends and family and how they come to terms with that loss. That's, that's the journey you go on with them. It takes about two, two and a half hours to play through. It's a, it's a complete 
story in itself. Um, we have uh, a bisexual lead character, which is uh, Will, the man who dies in the accident. His partner, Harry, who's gay. We've got uh, Will's ex-girlfriend, Sarah, uh, from, from university days. And we've got Mary, who's um, Will's grandmother. So we, we see sort of uh, different versions of, of love in this game. We see kind of uh, friendship, we see family, we see the love between partners. Um, and hopefully we go through that, that sort of journey of, of loss and memory with them. And part of the reason I wanted to, to make Will bisexual and to make him kind of uh, the central linchpin of all of this was that I didn't really feel like I'd played a game with a bisexual character that I recognised. Um, there, there, there wasn't a representation of bisexuality there that I went, yeah, that's how it feels like to me. And um, in the uh, classic phrase that I've seen kind of on the, on the comment sections of, of many video, many sort of articles on the internet, they said, why don't you go and make it then? Well, I did. Uh, <laughs> you know, when many of us have asked for kind of better diverse representation in video games, the first comment you see on the comment section a lot of time has been, well, why don't you go make it then? It's like, well, yeah, here we go. This is my effort. This is my attempt. Is it perfect? Probably not. It's not. But I think it's pretty good. I'm, and I'm, I'm super proud of what we made there. Um, Sassybot did an amazing job. They, they absolutely trusted me in the, the design and the art and things. I, I researched that thing just all the way forwards and backwards I possibly could. We've got real locations. We've got many of the scenes in the game are actually from, from my life or have happened to people by me. Um, so this is, uh, this is as realistic as I can make it. Um, I poured my heart and soul into this. The script itself took about two, two and a half years to write. This is, this is not like a, even though the first prototype was done in three days, um, turning that into a full thing. Because after that first prototype, you know, 60,000 people played it all over the world. We got comments from industry leaders going, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. I, I, I wish there were more things like this. Um, people were messaging me on Facebook after looking me up to just say thank you for it. Um, it the amount of people we moved with that story was was phenomenal, and so we wanted to make the full version of it. Oh, that's awesome! Um, and I think one of the one of the things that was interesting about that though was because I was working with reality as my medium, in essence, I was I was writing as as realistically about grief as possible in a video game form. And um, of course, we toured with this. We took this to quite a few shows, and I was showing it at Gamescom um, a few years ago. And uh, it's, if you've ever been to Gamescom, it's this huge German conference. There's about half a million people attending it. It's, it's enormous. It's, it's in, the scale of it is insane. Uh, and the number of people and the noise and everything is, is, is crazy. We had this tiny little booth um, and uh, we had lots of people come by and play. And one of the guys, um, he came across and, and played it. And uh, <laughs> um, he was uh, an Afghanistan veteran. And the, the story, even though it's about a bisexual man and his gay partner in that little bit that he was playing, uh-huh. he was saying that that story of loss is, is how I feel about the friends I lost. It should resonate regardless of whoever the main characters. If the story is good enough, it's going to resonate with everyone. It's interesting because we made a game that prominently has non-heterosexual characters in it. It's, it's often profiled as a, a gay game. Um, but it's just stories about people. We've expected queer communities to be able to 
uh, appreciate straight stories for um, basically the entirety of history. And there's no reason that straight people can't appreciate stories about queer communities as well. This idea that we have to kind of put this curtain or this wall down between our communities and say, this one's for you and this one's for you, it's, it's odd. And maybe I say that partly because I'm bisexual, so I, I sort of have a foot wandering um, on this line between the communities. But that's also one of the problems with being bisexual, that there is a less strong bisexual community often than there is a gay community or a straight community. Although a straight community doesn't think of itself as a straight community, it thinks of itself as society. Uh <laughs> but, but you're right in that sense that it is a community, so to speak, and that line uh, has been drawn for and for several years. I mean, you when you're playing it as part of the industry, as someone who me who's been playing games since the, you know, since basically 1980 for some time now. Uh, you know, I've I've seen it as far as very little representation, and that's very sad uh, as in many ways that that's the case. It's finally starting to get to the point now where there's where there's in re, you know games whether they're small indie developers or large AAA developers you're starting to get that representation i know you see behind me at mass effect and you got shepherd there and whatnot yeah. that to me is one of the first AAA games where you could have any type of representation did you get a chance to play mass effect through and and what were your thoughts if that's the case even if you didn't about the chance that you could play as a gay or bisexual character well, sometimes you could play as a gay or bisexual sometimes. character. Sometimes it's based, yeah. based on the choices. I mean, it, it, well, yeah, no, I mean, obviously it's a start. It's it well, was a start. actually in some in some games. You, I think in Mass Effect Two, you, if you played as male Shepard, you could not romance men. Oh, they really? put that back in again. Yeah, I think actually in, in, in I think it was in Mass Effect Two. There was one where you you could be gay if you were a woman. You could be a lesbian. Yeah, I don't think you a could actually be a gay man. Yeah, yeah. Then, but uh, with Mass Effect One, where you could go at least yeah. have some semblance of a, of a gay relationship yeah. that opened up the eyes uh, of a lot to people at that point in time in 2007. I know that was, a, you know, I, mean, I guess not, it was a start and hopefully, uh, you know, it would signal the sign to come for some, for some more positive signs. Obviously your game, you know, that has gone out to the community before we go into any other questions, where can they find your game? That's all uh, I think probably the easiest place would just go to straight to fragmentsofhim.com. So it's available there. You can buy it directly to from SassyBot on fragmentsofhim.com. It's also available on Steam. It's on available on Xbox One, and it's available on PlayStation Four. So if you have any of those titles, uh, so any of those platforms, please do pick it up. Um, small developers really just need your help. Um, you know, we 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 pour our heart and souls into these things, and we just hope that somebody supports us so we can make something beautiful next time. Absolutely. Um, I should probably mention that SassyBot are now making uh, another odd game in some ways. Uh, they're now making a game called Vinkulture, or Winkulture, as you might say, which is, uh, which is uh, Vinkulture is Dutch word for a small shop, and it's a shopkeeping game. And you play as a, as a young woman who's starting a shop, and it's adorable. It's so nice. <laughs> and so they've gone from kind of this very... Um, deep and melancholy game to something uh, very light and just lovely and they're, they're small developers like that are putting their heart into trying to make something interesting something different something original and um and, and i yeah i fully encourage all of your listeners to to go out there and support any small developer that's doing something different if you like the look of it 
please pay for it because people need your support. Absolutely, absolutely. And then you go to you go to places like E3 in the past, and they have indicated where you go and seen the lineup of so many different independent developers. And whenever I've gone there, if I'm looking for something out of the box that's different from the norm, that's the first place I go. Yeah, I know. I find those things much more exciting generally than the big titles, um, the, the the small heartfelt you know uh, games made by some passionate developers generally have a lot more heart and soul in them. Um, and to, to, to kind of jump back to something like Mass Effect, I think that it tried a lot of great things. Um, and I think it paved a lot of way uh, for for representation in some ways. But like a lot of big things, it's it's also got its flaws. Um, you know, I in uh, I, I, I played as a, a good person all the way through. So I, and I ended up only with one person at one point. And it's interesting that you can't be polyamorous, for example. You know, there were there were a couple of characters. I really liked Liara and I really liked Jack. Um, and I wanted those to be my partners. And they were like, nope, got to choose one of us. OK, that's a choice. That's a, that's a, that's a community that, you know, it's, polyamory is a small thing. So it's like, OK, I get that, that why that might not be there. When I went through on another playthrough, I decided to play it making all the evil choices as, as the worst I could, the flirtiest I could, doing absolutely everything I could that would kind of rank up the kind of evil version of, of, of Shepard. And I slept with most of the crew. Now, as a bisexual person, that says, that sends a message. Because if I play as a good person, I end up in a single relationship. If I play as a bad person, I get to sleep with lots of people and multiple genders and things like that. And it, there's, there's this sort of underlying message. message. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're into trying to find multiple partners or you, you want to be with multiple genders, you have to be evil to do that. And that shouldn't and it, be the case. No, no. And it, and it takes me back to, um, a comment by, that Paul Verhoeven made about uh, Basic Instinct. You know, Basic Instinct, you've got this kind of serial killer, Catherine. And, he's, uh, and he's, he, he said, uh, Catherine is the devil. That's why she's bisexual. And it was, it was one of those moments of like, yeah, I mean, evil is by its nature bisexual because it can appeal to everybody. And it's, to see it sort of pop up in a, in a funny way in Mass Effect was really interesting. Now, I do also want to say that while I'm, criticizing Bioware a bit here. I also think that as a company, they try really damn hard to get this stuff right. And yeah. I really respect that they're trying. In some ways, you don't get points for effort, you get points for success. And so I, I really respect the efforts on that. And um, the Dragon Age series, they've got some great writers on that, and they really try very, very hard to get diverse representation. And they're doing better. They are doing better. They're always progressing. Um, and I think that while there have been some um, dropped balls along the way, I think oh, no, that's a really bad <laughs> metaphor in this context. <laughs> well, then you're going to get me started talking about Andromeda, and let's not go there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Ah. Well, Andromeda was interesting. Well, it's just because the the lack of success of Andromeda, the the issues that were plagued by it. Fortunately, the product that came out. I didn't think was uh, at the level of quality as an overall game experience there comparatively to the Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. I still hope for the Mass Effect series. Obviously, when you see I've got such a you know great fandom for it, that I'm hoping for a return to that Mass Effect world yeah. uh, and Mass Effect universe, per so to speak. But Mass Effect Andromeda, I know it's very pol it's, it's a very polarizing game. 
and I know under and I understand development on it was very rough, but the product that was put out there, if you know, at the time it was put out there and why it was put out there, I know it's not all Bioware is as far mm-hmm. as the, you know the, the decision making behind it. I know when it was put out and whatnot. I you could tell what was going on is and and it just you know, as someone you're more inside than I am, obviously, than than as far mm-hmm. as it's concerned. When when something like that happens and you see the problems that are plagued with it right from the start, you know, what 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 is going through your mind when that has something like that happens? Kind of relive trauma of spending too many hours in a studio and things never seeming to go in one direction. I have had numerous experiences of people saying to the lead designer, what's the creative director playing this week? The lead designer going, why is that? Well, we just want to know what feature we're going to be asked to add in next week. So, so when, you, when you get a creative director that doesn't really know truly where they're going, what happens is they play a game. And they go, oh, that's brilliant. We'll add it in our one. And next week they play something else. They, oh, that's brilliant. We'll add it in our one. Mm-hmm. And you end up with this mishmash of things that don't necessarily knit together properly. Um, and that's that creates a massive workload. Whenever anything big changes, it creates a massive workload. But if that happens again and again and again, it's almost impossible to get anything out there that you're proud of. So although I, I see, well, we all saw, I think, problems with Andromeda, I respect the hard work that they did. I really do. And I had a different experience of it than a friend of mine. Uh, my, my best friend, he decided to, he was playing as the, uh, the male of the two twins that you could play as. Um, and he found it incredibly annoying. I think he stopped after a few hours because he's just like, it sounded like this entitled rich kid who was out there like, yeah, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to be a captain. I'm going to build the universe in my shape and whatever. Um, whereas I played it as the, the woman within the two twins. And to me, it was more like a plucky kid trying to, trying to prove herself. And I believe the lines of the script are almost identical, but the... The difference in the context the difference that you know we live in a patriarchal society and so some young entitled kid who's like the child of some amazing hero in the past some boy pop up and go yeah i'm brilliant is quite different from a from, from a, a a girl popping up and going i can be brilliant too <laughs> and i think that the, the the cultural weight of those things you can't just gender swap and expect yeah. it to mean the same thing. And and in that case, I think that, and I, I quite enjoyed Andromeda, but I think a lot of that might have been that I chose to play as the woman rather than as a man. And that, that gave a, a different weight to her success. And I, I think you're right on that. Most people, in fact, it's similar to what's going on with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where if you play as uh, the female or the woman in the, in the game, you are going to get a much better experience than you if you play the man. I've heard this numerous and countless times uh, from both those games, and and that you know from that in that sense, if you're going to play as her, that's great. Uh, if you're not, if you're not, then then maybe you're, you're you know a re, maybe a retelling of it should have been necessary, or a rescripting of it should have been been necessary to make it the, you know the weight of it more important on each. But you're right, uh, it's. I just thought it was the, with the product from the get-go and, and the, the fact that it just was not ready to ship when it shipped, I think the fact that it started off on such a bad foot helped 
create those issues and problems mm. and stigma behind Mass Effect Andromeda. I mean, you saw the you saw the glitches, you saw the, the issues with it and the technical issues that were part of the game, especially early on in, in the in the process. I, th I think I played a heavily patched version by the time I got around to getting onto it, so uh, it was actually reasonably smooth experience but uh yeah there were still still some odd bits that popped up here and there i, I have a lot of empathy for the studio and, and, and of that, course I've, we've, we've all been there uh yeah. as developers and you know whether the game is good or not in the end still doesn't it still doesn't mean that you did weren't spending like 70 hours a week trying to make it brilliant yeah um and it can just be that sometimes you put all your passion in and it just turns out to not be what you wanted it to be uh, i think um players are sometimes very quick to jump on blaming devs and sometimes what seemed like a good idea just wasn't and that's a real shame and i get that people really were excited about things sometimes but sometimes it just wasn't the time for it i agree with you on that i think that's a better way to assess as far as the turn rather than just go ahead and and dump on the devs but you know as you've have you spoken out and alluded to already we as a society have a tendency to go ahead and and act on impulse and and sometimes that's not always the best of things. But I wanted to ask you this uh, before we head on out today. And I wanted to ask you, where does the video game industry as a whole need to go as far as better representation of the lesbian, the gay, the bisexual, the transsexual, the queer community? Where do they need to go as far as a better representation that would, would actually make you, I don't want to make you happy, but make you more satisfied with what the products are going out there? I think in some ways, um, well, for a start, I think we need to recognize that there has been a huge amount of progress in the last few years. Um, I think there is, there is definite um, improvement in visibility of characters, not necessarily always the lead character, but certainly as NPCs, we see a lot more representation and diversity there. I think there's something else that we need to recognize, which is it's not just about queer communities now. It is we've become increasingly aware of the intersectional value of putting everybody forwards. You know, there's no point in just the queer community succeeding if people of colour are not included in this. I also think that uh, we need to look at things like rural versus urban living. You know, the representation of city dwellers is, is significantly higher than people who are living in the countryside. And, you know, if I want to play a game about a person who lives in a city and goes around driving cars and smashing stuff up, I've got tons of those. I can see my life represented there. Whereas if I live, live in the countryside, you know, Pokemon Go barely works for me. There's no Pokestops in the countryside. We, we, we've got to think about all the players. We've got to think about all of the people who are involved with this. And yes, definitely queer communities are a part of this, but we need to we need to form a more equal and just society where hopefully everybody gets better representation, which is hard. Um, but I think actually the thing with 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 Andromeda is 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 perhaps a sign of where this could go because I don't think I was alone in thinking that the the, the woman character was 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 more interesting to play as. And obviously Assassin's Creed is another example where the woman character is actually a bit more interesting to play as. So I think we need to encourage developers to trust that when there is a better option, go for that better character. Because, you know, I've, I've played a hell of a lot of kind of space captain white guys with like stubbly beard and whatever. Um, I've not played nearly as many um, gay uh, women as space captains. I've not played nearly as many um, uh, African-American people. I've not, I don't think I've ever played a single game where the lead character is from Nigeria. 
and there's a hell of a lot of people in Nigeria. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot of games out there, but I've not played them as as of yet. Actually, there is one I have played. Tell them, right? It was a beat 'em up, uh, made by people from Nigeria. There you go. I think that also is kind of one of those things that. So we've got two two sides there. We've got the pick the best character for your story. From the writing industry, if you're if you're writing a novel, sometimes you have this great sequence of events, and the person who's going through them is dull. And you have to find the most int- who's the most interesting person who would find this hardest but overcome it. And that question actually leads you to the point where you are not casting, not always casting, should I say, kind of a white straight cisgender man in his sort of mid-twenties to mid-thirties as your lead character, because sometimes it would just be a much better story. And that's the thing. This idea that diversity is some sort of token thing or some sort of political identity, it's, it's not like that. The diversity side of this can be a massive benefit to the quality of the experience because the character is more interesting, the challenges they face are more interesting. So that engagement with different communities, queer communities, but um, communities from different cultures around the world, you know, Eastern Europe, sort of Southern India kind of side of things, where all of these places around the world, we've got different cultures. Um, we could use these as inspiration for our games. We could use these as inspiration for our settings. The conflicts that these will have, the stories that we could tell might be ones we've never played before. How do we turn those into gameplay mechanics? How do we turn those into amazing, engaging stories which will touch the hearts of everybody who plays? And as I mentioned earlier, in, in fragments of him, our own game, of an Afghanistan veteran could feel and relate to the emotions of a bisexual man and his gay partner set in London. And that, that core of humanity is the same for all of us. Love touches us all. Love touches us all. It's an incredibly, incredibly powerful emotion. And if we can find ways to harness that, if we can find ways to, to bring that to be the unifying point in our stories, questions about sexuality and gender and culture fall to the side when we look at each other as people and we find those stories and we find the passion and we share just how they try to be happy in their lives because that's all all any of us want we just want to be happy and live peaceful successful lives i think we could find stories with the most interesting characters from all different backgrounds from all different sexualities all different genders i think that we could find new gameplay there which will actually keep us inspired for basically the rest of human future. You know, storytelling has been part of humanity. In fact, it's probably possibly the quintessential part of humanity throughout our lives. And one of the things about storytelling is you pick different characters every time. You tell a new story every time. You tell about a new context every time. Because if you keep on telling, hey, here's a military guy and there's been a double cross. Yeah, you can tell that, but eventually there's only so many stories you necessarily want to have that as your main thing. Eventually you're going to want to you know, switch channel and watch The Good Place. Um, Or like flick across to planet Earth and watch David Attenborough make you cry about penguins or something. You know, we we need variety in our lives. We need to see different things. And if we stick ourselves into games where we are just playing the same thing again and again, games will get stuck. Games will byline themselves or sideline themselves into this little obscure niche and no one would ever want to play them ever again. I, I think that for the health of the industry, we need to have diversity in our lead characters and sub-characters. Very well said. Once again, I'm speaking to Mata Haggisburge. He is the professor of creative entertainment games 
at the Breda University of Applied Sciences. You also got to try his game, The Fragments of Him, and that's available on fragmentsofhim.com, but you also can find it, I'm assuming, in the marketplaces of not only PlayStation 4, Xbox One, like you said, and also Steam. But I want you to go ahead, everyone listening out there, and search this one out. It is Fragments of Him. I'll tell you what, it's just been so great talking to you today, but you know, I'm going to give the floor to you. You tell us exactly what's going on with you and exactly what can they find some of your great stuff outside of not only just Fragments of Him, but all your other great stuff that you're working on or, or things that you've been a part of as well. Well, obviously, one of the things for my future is that uh, I'd like you to uh, to follow me on Twitter. So I am at Matahagis. I, I had that Twitter tag before I got married. I know Haggis Burridge. Got married last year, so uh, I'm a very wonderful person. Ah, um, congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Belated, uh, but yes, congratulations. I, <laughs> as someone who's also married, I, I know that's, that's just a, it's a great experience if, if done right. And it sounds like you know, you're still in that newlywed stage. I, I can see <laughs> the smile on your face, so that's good. That's good. That's My good. partner is a very awesome person who's not here and not listening to this. So, uh, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll play it back later and hear this. Uh, yeah, so follow me on, on, on Twitter. Uh, I am creating a new game at the moment, but there's no announcements about it yet. I also have my own company, which is called Copperstone C. And you can find it at copperstonec.com. There is a Twitter account for that, but uh, there's nothing much tweeted from there yet. But at some point, that will become my main platform for output. To be honest, those are probably the best places to follow me. I am working on a couple of different research projects at the moment because part of obviously of my job is not just about making stuff, it's about talking about stuff and finding out new things. And so we are looking, for example, I'm working with a group in Denmark to make a small game, a little bit like Hidden Folks. Do you know Hidden Folks? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so 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 for for your listeners, in case they don't know, it's kind of this this black and white draw sort of game with lots of little drawings of tiny little people, a bit like Where's Wally, and you have to kind of find the right people in the thing, and it's all animated and it's it's adorable. You should find hidden folks and support the creator of that. It's great. Play it on mobile and tablet, and uh, yeah, support small creators. They do great things, uh, and kids absolutely love it. Um, so we've we've made kind of an educational version of this in a, in a little way, um, which is being uh, sent around classrooms in Europe to, to try out and um, each of the things that you're looking for in that are like a, a child maybe one of them's feeding a horse properly and another one's pulling the tail of the horse and you it's a way of kind of starting conversations with children about ideas to do with health to do with hygiene to do with social behavior so that's kind of much more of an educational game than my other stuff so uh uh, that's that's one that's going on there. It's a project called Alt ER, and uh, if you can find that on the web, I'd be slightly impressed. But it's a very good little thing that we're doing. There's other ones that we're applying for to look at things like interface design, where we had a project. Okay, imagine you're walking through a woodland and you have to go and open the door to a cabin. As you walk up to the cabin, you point to your thing at it. Now, when you're walking through this woodland, you could have a dot as the thing to show you where you're looking in the middle of the screen. You could have a circle, you could have a crosshair. And the thing is, as a games industry, we've never researched the difference. If I'm walking through a woodland and I've got a crosshair, do I expect to be attacked by a bear any minute now? If I've got a dot, do I assume it's going to be a much more peaceful game? How do I feel as I play? I'd really like to get information so games developers can make smarter choices about the way they design their games. I have been doing writing for two AAA titles, but I can't tell you what those ones are. So uh, that's something else I've been doing in the last uh, seven or eight months. I keep very busy. I do a lot of different things. One that I'm really proud of is a uh, project called Gaming Horizons. Gaming Horizons.eu 
GamingHorizons.eu is a research project, actually. It's uh, funded by the European Union, looking at policy towards video games. Now, one of the things we found out was, not surprisingly, policy towards video games and support and research for them is not very good at the moment. There are a lot of very flawed ideas about what games are at a, a kind of a governmental uh, policy level. So really that whole project was about trying to help uh, the government understand um, how policies could be altered to help video games. On the Gaming Horizons website, if, particularly if people are academic researchers, in the deliverables place they can find a policy kind of recommendation document and it's called a manifesto for European video games. All our research where we did interviews with, it was over 70 professional games developers and over 280 people participated in workshops, really trying to find a way to understand video games and how to communicate this better and really talk about the potential of what they could be for culture. We're at this hugely exciting part in history where we've got a new art form. You know, the last one we got was movies and that was nearly 100 years ago. Now we have interactive movies-ish. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, getting there, getting there. Getting I mean, there. Black Mirror recently uh, had an episode at the end of December where you could yeah. interact with it. So you were yeah, getting there, VR, obviously, you know, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I, th I think we've got this new interactive art form. But to be honest, I, when I think about video games, I, I try not to compare them to films. I try to compare them to theater. I think video games are much more like theater. It's like, it's like performing character in a, in a scene but is a much more improvised version of this and, I, and other people in that scene have their own scripts and their own things they want to do i think theater is a better comparison here. but we have this digital version of it we can be anything anywhere and anyone and i think that's really really exciting so trying to understand how games will become fully grown as an art form i think is really interesting and if we look at the age of them, you, you know, you look at when Pong came out, Pong came out in the 1970s, I believe. If we compare the age of games now to the, to the age of films from the first time they were publicly broadcast. So Pong was the first game that you could pay money to play. It wasn't just in a science lab somewhere. First time you could pay for it. And the first paid for film things in cinemas were like 1880s. So we are in the equivalent of about 1927-ish or something compared to film, compared to cinema. So we've still got Charlie Chaplin, you know. Orson Welles has not made his greatest films yet. You know, Citizen Kane has not come out yet. And though it's a bit of an overly used phrase, but we don't have the Citizen Kane of games yet, I believe. I think we have only begun to scratch the surface of what they could be like. So one of the things I was trying to do with Gaming Horizons was trying to set out the land so that we can actually build on that foundation and find the way to really fulfill the potential of this medium because it is an incredible medium. Part of the reason I'm so passionate about getting better representation for different communities is everybody should be represented in this medium. You know, with, with television, I think Netflix in the last four years has probably done more for representing diversity on TV and on American television sets and European television sets than has happened in the entire history of cinema before us. That's incredibly powerful. I hope that games can catch up a lot faster than that. I don't want to wait another hundred years before we see the same sort of diversity in our video games. I don't think we have to, I don't think we should. And I think that we're going to catch up really fast in terms of the cultural worth. I think in 10, 15, 20 years time, when you're the kids today, Games are culture to them. Games are culture to them. There's, there's no question about this. For them, skipping between Netflix and YouTube and playing a game and texting their friend and then watching a trailer and then watching somebody else play a game on Twitch, you know, watching other people playing games, 
is now a hobby as well. And this is all one ecosystem to them. They don't think of it as, oh, now I will play a game. Now I will do this. It's just moving between media in this very, very fluid way. And that's interesting and scary and exciting in all kinds of different ways, because we just don't know what this is going to feel like and what it is like for people to be so flexible in how they move between media. And what does that do to games? This idea of transmedia storytelling and things like that. There's so much potential here that we have barely begun to touch on. It's a really exciting time. There's so much to learn. As a professor, this is just like, research this. Oh my God, where do we even start? Unfortunately, one of the questions is, where to start getting funding? Because it's entertainment, they go, oh yeah, that's a huge industry, they'll fund you. And industry is huge, so they go, yeah, we don't need to fund anybody. So if there's any private listeners out there who fancy funding a, a professor in the Netherlands to research video games, I would love to have your sponsorship. If you're sitting there on a, on a few hundred thousand, kind of go, yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, that would be nice. So if you can't, please support Mata today, any of his social media, and go ahead and be able to go and, and help fund his awesome projects and, and the ideals behind them and what he's looking forward to accomplish. Because you're right, there's so much more to go in the industry. There's so many things that we could go ahead and do to create a closer-knit community than the one we have before and the one we have now. And I'll tell you what, there's just so much good to look forward to when it comes to the video game industry. And I'm just truly just thankful for it. But I forgot to ask you, because we talked about it at the very beginning of our conversation was Cyberpunk 2077. And and you know Keanu Reeves, he made a big entrance as far as the announcement of him as a character there. And, you know, everything is all Keanu right now. In fact, I dedicated an episode the other day to why Keanu is is so in right now as far as pop culture is concerned. But you want to talk about Cyberpunk 2077. It recently took all the awards from E3 as far as the game that people are most excited about. It is scheduled for a uh, spring 2020 release, and I want to hear your thoughts on Cyberpunk 2077 and the hopes that you have for it going forward. Well, first of all, I want to say I absolutely love Keanu. You know, what... I I don't hear any bad things about him at all. Every time you hear anything or read any interview or anything, he just seems so nice. I think I loved him a bit when I saw Bill and Ted, and I think my heart has stayed with him through the years. I even like the second and third Matrix film. That's that's saying something. Um, that is saying something. But Bill and Ted three is coming out next year as so well. Excited. So Oh my god, that's going to be great. well. I hope it's going to be great. You know, uh, but you know, fingers I think, crossed. I, I think crossed. Oh, I'm lovely. sorry. I should say air guitar crossed. Air guitar. Go. That's so good. That's such good. That that made my day. That really did when I had the news. So yeah, I. I Part of my PhD was literally about cyberpunk. And CD Projekt Red are a studio with some complex history. They did have a person on Twitter who was posting a couple of transphobic jokes. That person was fired by the studio. They have had a game set in medieval Poland where they have dragons and all kinds of mythical creatures, but no black people. Were there black people in the in sort of Middle Ages and in Poland? Yes. Yes, there definitely were. Were there any dragons? No, there definitely weren't. And that's, there's also other things about representation of women in the game. So like, there was a card game in The Witcher where you could sleep with as many women and then you'd get a card, like a collectible card for the person you'd slept with. They, they don't have an amazing reputation for representation of diversity. They don't have a great history on these things. 
in their announcement trailer and sort of demo this week, they also had a, a poster on a wall of a transgender woman, highly sexualized, being used to sell soft drink. The slogan of the soft, soft drink was mix it up. And, you know, the, the, the art director, the interview with, I believe, female pronouns are appropriate here. I believe she said that this was an, in, an intentional thing. It was supposed to be kind of satirizing how terrible capitalism is that it will objectify bodies in this way, that it will take a beautiful body like, like this transgender person's body and use it to sell soft drinks, which within the context of the game makes sense. But the thing is, that game's not out for another nine months or something like that until that point. We just see a kind of commodification of a transgender person's body. And there's enough trouble for transgender people in the world already. That's not helping much, you know, and that's a massive understatement. That's, you know, if we, if we look in, in America, transgender rights are hotly contested by the current leadership to the point of increasing the danger the literal danger for the lives of anybody transgender in America at the moment. If we look to Brazil, there's a far-right leader who's been voted in over there and a massive escalation in the murder of transgender women. The transgender community throughout the world has been historically killed, to be honest. Let's just put it that way. There's there's massive prejudice against this group. And I'm not going to say that I am the world-class expert on this stuff, but I've got enough sense to listen to my transgender friends when they say that poster was not really acceptable that's not helping i think if cd project red had a had a history of representing diversity well or even bioware's history of trying to represent diversity well and employing kind of queer people or as as lead writers and, and things like this you know we we'd probably have a bit more trust but at this moment i'm a little bit skeptical about whether that might be the main representation of transgender people in this game for all I know, at which point you go, well, you're not really addressing this in a meaningful way. It's kind of a tokenistic, hey, look, we put people on the poster. That's enough for you, isn't it? Which kind of isn't. I mean, basically, it shows that while we've come so far, we still yeah. have a ways to go when it comes to full representation. in the As I said about kind of Bioware earlier, I, I do give some respect for efforts. And I do believe the art director when they said what they said you know they i believe it was probably done with goodwill whether it fits and this is the right time for them to have done that not sure whether that should have been in that context i don't know does the game look good i don't know probably will be it'll probably be jolly good fun whether it's cyberpunk that i recognize i don't know i'll see about that one but keanu let's try to put the pauses on keanu there Keanu is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I go back to Keanu. Yeah. No, I know, this, this is it. I, know, I, I don't want to be so harsh on people trying to do good stuff that nobody ever tries anymore. This is the risk. So I, not being transgender, I do have a little bit of privilege in that this is not putting my own life at risk. Whereas I, I like to say, there are other people who are friends who this is part of their life. So I, I, I can't give them full credit for this. But I'm glad that it's at least something people are talking about. I'm glad that this is getting talked about in mainstream press. And hopefully it'll encourage other developers to keep trying and hopefully do better. And maybe when the game comes out, it'll all be brilliant. Perhaps this controversy will help push the studio in a really good direction. That's the hope. I think this is reputation of, of queer communities and kind of intersectional feminists. We have this reputation of apparently complaining about everything. And it's not because we want things to stay bad. We want things to get better. We actually are full of hope and optimism. We can create a really great world. And there are things that we need to overcome to get there. And if equality was reached by people not shouting, 
then we'd have reached equality a long time ago. We were silent on these issues for millennia. And women's rights only really progressed when people started throwing themselves in front of the king's horse. When people started dying for this and causing trouble and being angry. Gay rights, Stonewall, you know, we asked for gay rights for a very, very long time. We've existed in culture forever and we never got anywhere until we had a riot. The civil rights movement with, with equality for, for people of colour and black people particularly in America, it was not always peaceful. A lot of it was. And it was a huge respect for the people who had the, the power to remain peaceful in that. Because, you know, I think sometimes asking people to be patient and calm, sometimes it's just too much to ask. It's been too long. And without people shouting about this and protesting, unfortunately, we see that things don't change. So while intersectional feminists look like we complain all the time, we want the world to be better for everybody. You know, intersectional feminism is about improving lives for people of all genders. And I do mean all genders. I mean, including men. That's an equality issue. Feminism has got your back here. We want equality. And that sometimes means that men need to get more respect. Men need to be allowed to be emotional as well as women need to be able to have power and respect. Just as much, this horrible mess that we've got ourselves into, we can't just pick one bit out and go, oh, we'll fix that. And I think that's what previous versions of feminism had, that they tried to kind of take out one piece and go, we can fix this little bit. And I think intersectional feminism is, is really going, yeah, unless we get people of colour along with us, this is not worth it. We need to get everybody better. We need to raise everybody up so we all have a chance in society, an equal say in society. So, yeah, I might complain about Cyberpunk 2077, and I wish that these complaints, and I hope, and I slightly believe, it will make the game better. I think it will make the, the developers more conscious and considerate, and we'll get an even better game for it. Because we want to play good games, you know? This stuff is fun. And I don't want to play games where I'm sitting there going, oh, really? You know, there are games where, I, where, where I, I turn them on and I feel embarrassed if my partner walks in the room. So it's like, this is my hobby represented on screen right here. I want to be proud of this hobby, you know? I want this hobby to do this stuff well. So while we complain, it's because we want it to be amazing. It's because we love it. And I do not endorse attacks on individual developers. I think as an industry, we need to, in a group way, talk about this in a mature manner. And you're right. Absolutely. We do need a more global vision on how we approach not only gaming, but entertainment industry as a whole and, and how we see things because so many different people around the world play games and are part of the entertainment scene and, and they want to experience entertainment that they can relate to. And yeah. we as a community have to come together in a much better fashion. Hopefully we will going forward and we can take lessons from what we just saw at E3 when it comes to CD Projekt Red, and hopefully they can too. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, know, I really do hope so. And I, I, I'm sure this has been a very uncomfortable time for them. I do have sympathy for them. I also see that they are currently unintentionally contributing to a bad situation. Uh, and I really hope that they can come back from this stronger and better and that we do something great for everybody. I hope so too as well. Once again, this is Mata Haggisburge. He is the professor of creative entertainment games. Hold on, I'm going to take a breath here. <gasps> At the Brita University of Applied Sciences. I'll tell you what, that is a long title, but that is a cool title. Nonetheless. <laughs> it's so great to have you on the show. Check out his awesome game, Fragments of Him, at fragmentsofhim.com or in the marketplace of PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Steam. Mata, it's been truly great talking to you today. 
I also want to say you are most welcome back anytime at your convenience to come on the show and talk to the gaming scene, talk about anything you want as well when it concerns pop culture. I just truly appreciate having you on the program today. Oh, it's been really fun. I, I love talking about this stuff. There's so many interesting, exciting things going on. I mean, you look at kind of some of the stuff that's been announced, like little games like 12 Minutes. You look at things like the new Watch Dogs, Watch Dog Legion. That looks so cool. You've got, you've got grandmothers shooting people with pistols and infiltrating <laughs> spy things. This sounds fantastic. I know something like Heaven's Vault that came out last year, an archaeological game where you're you know, decrypting histories of the universe. It's a really exciting time in games. I think there's so many cool things around. Oh, and a good one, if people don't have it on their radar yet, that I'm really excited about is a game called Telling Lies, a sequel to Her Story. A, game, a guy called uh, Sam Barlow is the writer of this. In Her Story, if you've not played it, people should download it. It's fantastic. You're basically looking through video footage of, an, of a police interview and trying to search out terms from all the clips to work out the true story of what happened. It's, it's really, really interesting stuff. There is so much exciting stuff going on in games, and I'd, I'd be happy to come back and talk about this stuff again. Yeah. That would be awesome indeed. Her story created a lot of, of goodwill and buzz when it came out, a lot of awards yeah. as well. So, yes, anybody gets a chance, check out that game, plus also the game upcoming as well. Just, yeah, just Telling Lies looks amazing. It does look amazing indeed. Well, Mata, it's been great talking to you. I wish you tremendous success in the future. And again, I want you back on the program to talk more great stuff within the video gaming industry. Well, I'd love to come back again. Thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. And thanks so much for being a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Did you know the ESO Network has a brand new Patreon? That's right. We're asking for your help, and you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. Don't fret. All your favorite shows will still be available for free, as always. But you can get exclusive podcasts and more not heard anywhere else but on our Patreon. To sign up for the ESO Network, Patreon's easy. All you have to do is go to ESOPodcast.com and click on the link. With your support of the ESO Network, it's you who will reap the rewards. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.